students, staff, alumni, neighbors, friends. Welcome to the Because We're Lutheran podcast from Pacific Lutheran University. You don't have to be a Lutheran to listen, but we do hope by the end of these conversations, you'll think there's something pretty interesting, maybe even compelling, about Lutheran higher education. I'm University Pastor Jen Rood, and I'll be your host. Today's podcast is a conversation among Lutheran pastors about faith in anxious times. Timely, yes? Yes. <laughs> Amen. So anxiety is certainly a relevant topic in today's world. And this summer, pastors John Rosenberg and Jan Rood were leaders of a summer theological conference at PLU called Leading a Congregation in Anxious Times. John Rosenberg recently retired as PLU's Interim Director of Congregational Engagement after serving as the interim campus pastor. And John, you've actually had a lot of different jobs in addition to being a pastor. During college and seminary, John worked in restaurants, in an iron foundry, and as a long-distance truck driver. I like imagining that, John. <laughs> These days, John devotes much time and effort to habitat restoration and advocacy on behalf of endangered salmon and Native American treaty rights, which he notes are closely related. Welcome, John. Thanks. Good to be here. And Jan Rood is a pastor at St. Mark's by the Narrows Lutheran Church. He's also a member of PLU's Board of Regents and an alum. And although we share an awesome last name, we spell it differently, <laughs> and we don't think we're related. So we've got two Roods on the podcast here today. Jan, you've lived all over the world. You've lived in Taiwan and Madagascar, France and Cameroon. And now you've been in the PNW for 26 years? Sounds 26 right. 26 years. They left out Norway, Jim. Yeah, that's oh, true. Oh, Norway. Too. Okay, yeah. also Norway. <laughs> so today's conversation is with pastors John, Jan, and Jen. <laughs> so here we go. <clears throat> we know that anxiety is rampant. What do you think is underneath the anxiety that is pervasive in our faith communities and world? What's at the core of this anxiety? We talked about this at our uh, gathering here a few months ago, and I think one of the things we recognize is that people are diverse, so sources of anxiety are also equally diverse, mm -hmm. that that tends to you know, relate to circumstances, life circumstances, um, uh, all kinds of things in different cultures and different places. But um, we also identified some things that seem to be pretty universal that manifest themselves in lots of settings. Um, one of them, I think, is just uh, an experience of um, uh, insecurity, you know, which comes in all kinds of different forms. Uh, it's, it's one of the ways that I think we've thought about even just the, what's happening in our country right now and what led perhaps to election results a year and a half ago, et cetera, is just a lot of people feeling insecure at all kinds of different levels. Mm -hmm. um, feeling insecure about our, you know, our borders, feeling insecure about their jobs, feeling insecure about um, just the, the future, et cetera. Um, and I think it relates a lot to, to, again, where you are in the, in the spectrum. If you're, uh, if you're a white person, uh, you know, there's a lot of, perhaps for a lot of people, fear, insecurity of losing privilege that's maybe, you know, still strong, but, uh, but feeling threatened. Um, if you're a person of color, just a lot of insecurity because you know what it means to 
live in a society that still has a strong white supremacy. And mm -hmm. so I think that those kinds, kinds of things, that sense of insecurity is at the, at the heart of it. Um, uh, so I'll turn yeah, over to John, John for other things. Well, I think that uh, I, I agree with, with what Jan is saying. I, I think the other part of it, and it's ironic to point it out in this setting, but is the fact that, you know, we have a 24-hour news cycle, we have social media, and we have all sorts of things that keep reminding us of all the reasons why we should feel insecure. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think people are more aware of their insecurity. And, and, you know, there are people who, for various reasons, either because they want us to vote for them or they want us to buy a product or whatever— um, are telling us that we're insecure, that we need to be fearful, we need, you know, this kind of insurance or this kind of, uh, you know, uh, security on our, on our computers or whatever. And so there's lots of messages that we're getting uh, that tell us to be fearful. Mm. So. Yeah. That's a good point. It's not, not all um, originating within, but there are all these oh. bombardments of you should be anxious, you should be insecure, worry about other people who might be trying to... Yeah, if you're not worried, you're not paying attention. Right, right. So is there a story from Scripture or from the Lutheran faith tradition that speaks to you during anxious times? I'll let John go first I, this time. You know, uh, we talked about this because we were going over uh, passages that we wanted to use uh, in the conference, mm -hmm. you know, appropriate. And the first one that came to my mind was the story of Jesus and the disciples on the Sea of Galilee when the storm comes up. And Jesus is in the back of the boat sleeping, and the mm -hmm. disciples are sort of all going crazy and freaking out. And, you know, don't you care? Don't you care? And, you know, Jesus kind of wakes up and looks at them and 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 uh, calms the storm. You know, nobody quite knows how that worked. but uh, And then kind of looks at them and says, you know, why didn't you, you know, you of little faith. So I, that's a story I think of, of Jesus calming the storm. Um, I think scripture's got a lot of stories that mm -hmm. way, though, because anxiety is not a new thing. So. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. How about you, Jen? Uh, yeah, that was one of the ones that we talked about. John actually preached on that um, at our conference. And uh, uh, as I think about it, too, that's, that, that story emerges as a one in which um, it's surprising at first that Jesus would ask, why are you afraid? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's... Um, it seems pretty obvious if you you know you're out in a storm, uh, whatever that <laughs> right, may be, right. and you know and to potentially not able to swim in that in mm -hmm. that setting, and you know life threatening circumstances. Um, but I, I think what's underneath that for me that that um, t I would probably imagine to be much more that at the heart of what Jesus means is not just you know why are you afraid, meaning that you know there's obvious things that would cause fear or anxiety, but I'm with you. Um, so why are you afraid? In mm -hmm. other words, and there's actually a, the, the tense of that verb is really more, why are you continuing to be afraid? Uh, which, uh, that, to me, that comes back to the heart of it, I think, in our, in our, you know, whether it's both Hebrew scriptures or New Testament, it's the sense that, that it's not abnormal to be, to experience fear, but to continue in fear, knowing that God is with you, uh, is where, um, that disconnect happens. So I think the story is one saying that that uh, Jesus is inviting them to be uh, at peace 
just because of the fact that he's present with them. Mm-hmm. Um, the story from Hebrew scripture that stands out is that um, the, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and being anxious about everything yeah. all the time mm-hmm. uh, as just a way of experiencing on a daily basis, you know, God's providence, um, just every single day dealing with anxiety, whether it's food insecurity or, you know, feeling insecure about other people. Uh, threatening them or within, and they're just learning day by day that you know that God is accompanying them and God's providing for them. And um, but then there's a point where um, uh, where God punishes them by sending snakes, right. poisonous snakes that bite them. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the antidote to that is that Moses is told to put up a bronze serpent so that when people look at that, uh, then they're 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 saved at least from those from those those threats and um i it's always been interesting to me that you know god could have just taken away the snakes mm-hmm. uh but instead god gave them something uh to be pre- you know with all of that threat around them to still um trust so uh and uh, that that i guess underneath that there's that story is a very powerful one too that most of those circumstances that cause us to be fearful don't just vanish right, uh, right. so how is it that we live in the midst of that with a sense of trust mm-hmm. uh, in God's um, presence and, and um, protection. So, Thanks for that, Jan. You talk about the sort of presence of Jesus, the presence of God as a source of comfort in these stories. What about in your own life? Has there been a time that your faith has been really critical um, during an anxious time or fearful time? Yeah, I've, uh, I think one of the things that's just important for us as uh, leaders in any way is to acknowledge the fact that we also experience anxiety. I think that's mm-hmm. you know important for people to recognize that it isn't just uh, something to feel uh, guilty about or whatever, that that's natural. So, I, so those times come for me, too. I, I, when I thought about it a little bit more— um, uh, my thoughts went back actually to uh, early parenthood, oh, uh, and uh, my wife and I were living in Cameroon, in West Africa, with our first child, and just to, you know that was to begin with just um, having a we had been there for several years without children, and then having a tiny child in that environment was mm-hmm. um, you just feel more of that that sense of you know need to protect that person and uh, and our daughter who was very still about a year old at the time uh, ended up with a we were living out far from medical uh, help except for one small clinic and um, she developed a really high fever and started going into convulsions and and, uh, you know and I had infant mortality there was very high from so obviously that was probably one of my most ancient anxious moments and I just I just remember that at that all I could think of at that time is just to say, okay, God, this is your child, mm. uh, and to, you know, kind of surrender that um, and to say, okay, this, you know, you, she's in your hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for me, I just, you know, it's the all of the the sense of wanting to control that that I knew was not there. Um, and I thought uh, it didn't it didn't take away all my anxiety, but it was just a way for me to say, okay, I'm not, you know, the— uh, in charge of any of this or in control of any of this. And and I do trust that God's able to carry mm-hmm. us through everything and all things. So um, so I, I, that was one of those times when I just thought of, what do I turn to, mm-hmm. you know, at that most visceral level of anxiety? And it's just 
kind of surrender to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, a time of not being in control, but also not being alone, is yeah, what I hear you saying. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And right, it's in, in, in trust. I, in sense, it was entrusting this mm-hmm. child to God. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Thank you. John, how about you? A time in your life that your faith was critical during an anxious I, time? I, you know, I, I, I'm with Jan. Um, children and um, now grandchildren can be a source of anxiety. <laughs> 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 They're also a source of great joy, which uh, uh, outweighs the anxiety. But, yeah, that's true. I think for me, um, uh, I grew up uh, in, a, in, a, in another denomination and uh, but had started off to study for ministry pretty early in life and had sort of been encouraged to do that. And went along, you know, through uh, uh, the, the the whole system of education that that um, uh, my part of the Lutheran Church had, and and uh, and then I got, you know, midway through my second year of seminary, and it just kind of all stopped for me. And uh, uh, I don't know if I was, you know, clinically depressed or anything, but I left the seminary for a couple of years. And kind of went through this period of vocational and personal malaise. And, um, you know, I, so, it, it, you know, it was, it was a period of anxiety because I didn't know what I was going to do um, um, because I'd sort of been going in this direction most of my life. And I think the way that finally uh, got clear for me and the way I got clear was through people along the way who kind of, you know, would would help me out going through this time and and finally encourage me to go back and and uh, and, and give seminary another try. So I did go back and and then um, um, you know, became a pastor and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But um, that was a period of, you know, kind of a dark, anxious time uh, in my life where um, – and I've always believed that, you know, when when we can't believe, other people believe for us mm-hmm. and believe in us. And part of the way that God works in our lives is through those other people who sort of encourage us and help us along at times when we're not quite able to do it all by ourselves. Mm-hmm. Which is probably more times than we care to admit or even are aware of. So yeah, the value of community to hold us. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 A community is is absolutely crucial. I think uh, when you're thinking about anxiety. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is the role of faith communities during anxious times? Well, I, I you know that's one of them is mm-hmm. just to encourage one another, which mm-hmm. is very scriptural. Um, uh, you know, I think to to be welcoming and accepting places, and to recognize that um, as you look around that community, everybody's at a little bit different place in their, um, if you want to use the metaphor of a faith journey, that they're in different places, and to um, uh, give give each other space, but also give each other encouragement, and to you know let people know that they're that their um, um, membership in that faith community is 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 um, is solid is firm mm-hmm. you know uh, is unconditional um, so uh, I don't know if yeah, that some makes stability sense, uh, in the midst of maybe some absolutely yeah to provide some times. kind of structure yeah. mm-hmm. uh, for people who are feeling like maybe the structure is falling apart so yeah yeah I don't know what do you think Jen yeah I'd, obviously I think that Isolation, feelings of isolation always seem to, you know, um, intensify any kind of anxiety that mm-hmm. people have or feeling like they're going through something on their own without 
understanding or support of other people. So whether it's even a faith community or not, I think just community Mm -hmm. in that sense is important. Um, I think when you ground it in a faith tradition, whether it's Christian or any other, then there's a lot more that's that's brought um, into that. Uh, In our case, again, it's this sense of of, um, how we are uh, Christ for one another in our in our um, experience of community, which means, you know, both the, the kind of compassion that we share and the strength and hope that we share with one another, um, with something that's been given to us that we that we then are bearers of for each other. And I also think that it's very powerful to go through experiences together as a community, even if it's not your uh, loss or your trauma. Um, but you are participating in a way that a community is dealing with that, mm-hmm. uh, I think builds a lot of uh, resilience within people. Um, you know, uh, most most um, congregations over time experience a lot of those kinds of things. Um, when there's obviously the most obvious thing is just death that is mm-hmm. just a constant part of life and community and how that how people grieve together and uh, especially when it's a more unexpected or traumatic, you know, how you as a people together turn to God and to each other. Um, and I'd, the most maybe uh, um, uh, profoundly important parts of those are things like um, we've had a couple of cases uh, where um, young people have taken their own lives mm, yeah. and uh, how a community comes to that together uh, and bringing in also the, the the trust that we have in God in the midst of that. Those are just, I think, very, very formative for how we deal with those things when they happen to us. Mm-hmm. So. I guess the other thing I'd, I'd add on to that is that um, if you're part of a community that has any kind of a sense of history, right. there's a recognition uh, that you know, we, hey, we've faced stuff before. Mm-hmm. And, and so part of the value of those biblical stories is that, you know, you can see examples of people who have faced, uh, you know, trauma of one sort or another and have managed to figure out a way to walk through that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so it, it helps you to step back a little bit, which I think is a really important thing to be able to do in the midst of an anxious situation is to step back and to say, okay, what's, what's really happening here? And, and have, you know, what have we experienced before in our life mm-hmm. as a community that would help us to, that might help us to move forward? Uh, and, and, you know, f- the history of the church is, is uh, not always beautiful, but there are examples of people that have come through those times before. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, history can be a rich tradition to draw upon, for sure. People yeah. who have been in similar circumstances and have, as you said, Jan, developed resilience as a community. And, John, you kind of hinted at that um, sometimes churches are—they've um, added to anxiety, or they've created anxiety for people. Um, so how how would you guys talk about that? How how has the church at times um, really been um, been a negative force for creating anxiety or insecurity for folks? I think um, to begin with, it's just when when communities themselves are anxious, which happens so easily. You know, um, uh, coming back from when I was uh, in Cameroon, an early part of my ministry, uh, there were many sources of anxiety there. And then coming to the Northwest, 
uh, in the early 1990s, it was at a time when there was just steady decline in you know, almost all of our mainline denominations in the United States. Mm-hmm. So I think most congregations were experiencing a fair amount of anxiety you know, about are we going to survive, mm-hmm. what's going to happen Where to us. Where are the young people? Uh, all those kinds of questions. So if you, you know, that's palpable. If you come into it and if you come into that from any other environment, you can just sense mm-hmm. that this is an anxious group of people. Right. Uh, and that, I think, can uh, really deepen the kind of anxiety that people have already. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think a lot of times what, you know, what faith communities have, have done uh, to to magnify people's anxiety is to is to put guilt on top of it, mm-hmm. um, where you know if you're if you're told well you just shouldn't be anxious you know if you had faith you wouldn't be afraid <laughs> right. or you wouldn't whatever then you know then it isolates people even more to feel like okay now I'm you know I've got that on top of what I'm already experiencing and that's that's happened in a lot of settings where where people have you know coming into a community has actually made them feel more mm-hmm. alone in there. Um, and what they're going through, which is really sad. Mm -hmm. There's a tendency, I think, in communities that become anxious to sort of herd together Mm. and insist on uniformity uh, as opposed to unity um, and, you know, to make rules and to decide, you know, who's in and who's out and and all those kinds of things. And I think that's a way that... uh, um, uh, churches have have uh, you know whenever people are you know waving the rule book at you, um, at least for me, it's a pretty good indication that there's some anxiety going mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So, thank you, Jan. You're an alum of PLU. So, are there ways that your PLU education has helped shape you to be a pastor, a leader of a congregation, particularly particularly during anxious times? Uh, sure, and uh, part of it is is more like just you said the the education side of it. That's more the academic side. Um, I one of my majors was religion when I was here, so I think just a lot of the um, ways in which I was brought into a broader pers- appreciation for uh, my own faith and uh, and just um, spiritual traditions in general have been very helpful for me. But I, I would actually say uh, campus ministry was a really important part yep. of that. <laughs> and uh, I became very involved in the, um, the congregation, the university mm-hmm. congregation, uh, and in leadership of that too. And at the time, uh, Don Jerky was the, uh, the main campus pastor. And I think he uh, was a great example for me of, of a kind of a leader that was able to um, be a what I would call a real trusting presence. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, uh, I'm not so sure if being a non-anxious presence uh, I is, don't know if that's possible. Is, is, <laughs> right. It's it's not the best way of describing it for me because mm-hmm. it, it gives the impression that again that as a leader, um, you just shouldn't. There should be nothing that you're anxious about. I think uh, what Don and many others have done for me as leaders is you know be able to even name things like okay that makes me anxious mm-hmm. and be uh, honest about it and be yeah. honest about mm-hmm. it. But then uh, but then in the midst of that, bring a sense of trust mm-hmm. uh, and that's or a kind of and sometimes it's a calming mm-hmm. kind of presence. And Don really had that. Um, uh, at that point, he wasn't um, so aware of his own um, threats to his health. Um, uh, he died shortly after I left PLU. Um, uh, and uh, but I think among that was probably one of the as I thought about it, one of the more 
um, influential things. It's just what it means to have that sense of of trust that um, right that in the midst of anxious times, uh, there's always the sense of of uh, God holding us through that. Okay. Um, we talk a lot in our denomination about accompaniment, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's what Don did really well, and, and a lot of campus pastors have really done well at PLU is accompany students mm-hmm. uh, who are going through all kinds of anxiety, uh, and to just be a, a, a presence for them of allowing, inviting them into trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, I think that was very helpful for me as a young person. Mm-hmm. Now, John, you served as the interim campus pastor before I got here. Thanks for setting things up for me. Um, <laughs> what was your experience during in that role of anxiety on campus? Well, that was interesting. I, I, I thought about that. Um, so uh, because of the way the academic year works, uh, there were a lot of changes that took place in that summer. I think mm. I can't remember which summer that was, 2016 maybe. Fifteen, yeah. Fifteen. And—, and so when the uh, students who were active in university congregation left in the springtime, uh, there was a campus pastor who'd been here for at least, you know, 20, 22 or 23 years. Uh, and there had been some changes in the office already. And when they came back in the fall, suddenly that campus pastor was gone. Mm-hmm. And there was uh, a new guy, an old guy, and they're kind of looking like, you know, who are you and what are you doing here? So um, so that was a little bit of an anxious time. And I think, you know, my role at that point was to sort of um, say, look, I'm, I'm not going to be your new campus pastor, but I will be here as your pastor for a year to kind of walk you through this transition. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what we did. We sort of, you know, made a plan that we were going to um, we were going to, um, you know, go through the, the time of the interim period and then call a new campus pastor and start a new transition. So I think my role was to sort of, you know, keep my eye on the prize and help them do that, too, but also to, to be a um, to be as calming a presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and I certainly wasn't a non-anxious presence all the time, but to, to do that and— um, and that's a little easier when you're uh, retired mm-hmm. <laughs> than it well, is when you're right in the thick of it. So, yeah. It seems like really modeling walking together through anxious right. times yeah. rather than trying to um, ignore that they're, that exactly. they're anxious or trying to avoid. Yeah. I think, but just yeah. we're going to walk through this together. Put, mm-hmm. put, yeah, I think you, you, you've got it. You just sort of say, OK, you know, there are reasons for us to be nervous, but we have some resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, you all have some some gifts and some insights and some uh, strengths. And I bring some experience to this situation. And, you know, I can't pledge to you that all this stuff is going to go away. But I can pledge to you that we will walk together yeah. through this. And mm-hmm. so uh, and, I, and I think um, that happened. The student leaders stepped up and, mm-hmm. and they called you. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, here I am. Yeah. yeah there, here you are. <laughs> so last question for you, too. Um, do you have a spiritual practice that helps you with anxiety that you might share with the folks who are listening today? For me, I think it's been a, a growing appreciation uh, over the last few decades for contemplative hmm. prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's um, it's a it's a part of our spiritual tradition as Christians that in the Western Church, 
uh, was greatly <laughs> uh, pushed to the margins right. probably for about the last thousand years and that, that thrived much more, I think, in Eastern Christianity and other Eastern traditions. Uh, and uh, I'd, I've, what I find really helpful about that is that what a lot of my anxiety is created by what's happening in my brain all the time, you know, my binary brain that's just always analyzing and sorting out and, and trying to make sense out of something or planning what to say or thinking about what I just said or, you know, all of that, um, even the, the way in which you think about things that make you anxious and contemplative prayer for me is so much uh, kind of bringing, kind of centering outside of, of all of that constant noise that's happening in your in your brain. Uh, um, Richard Rohr, who I have read um, a lot of books more recently, has said that your binary brain actually can never really be fully pre- in, the, in the moment, you know, because mm. you're always, your brain is either processing the past or planning the future. Uh, and so that's kind of centering uh, um, Thomas Merton, who also was very influential for me in that, I think, is someone who was able to recover a lot of what was lost um, from some of that Eastern um, wisdom uh, in our Western church and talks about it as um, as surrender or yielding mm-hmm. to, to God or just communion with God. So for me, those practices are very centering in the midst of things. It's kind of like that calm in the midst of a storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, even throughout the day at different times. So uh, that's, and there are different, all kinds of different ways that people practice contemplative prayer. For me, the most uh, deeply, I think, transformational way to do that is outdoors. Um, mm-hmm. I'm much, much um, happier doing that in a setting where I'm just also not only communing with God, but in a sense of a real union with creation. And that, I think that's right away, just stepping even right now to step outdoors connects me with an environment that's beyond me, beyond everything I'm experiencing right now and my tiny little uh, microcosm of all of that. And it kind of immediately gives me this sense of connectedness to something enduring. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so that contemplative prayer connected to creation, I think, is most helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I see that being really valuable on a college campus where mm-hmm. students are thinking about what has been and what is to be mm-hmm. and really um, practicing being in the present. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we live in this beautiful area and taking advantage mm-hmm. of uh, creation and nature mm-hmm. as a way to center and mm-hmm. and be present in the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, just briefly, at the, at the, the heart of that is the sense that—, that that the divine is always present within us, mm-hmm. um, that you don't have to look elsewhere right. for it either. So that just becoming centered uh, and even with your own breathing is a way of remembering God's presence mm-hmm. within you. So. Being mindful of it, not creating yeah. creating yeah. it. Right, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. acknowledging it or yielding yeah. to it. Mm. Yeah. How about you, John? Do you have a spiritual practice that you could share with us? You know, I, uh, this is the kind of question I used to always get embarrassed by because I I, uh, I felt like I wasn't uh, I didn't have a rigorous enough spiritual life. But um, I'd say a couple things. Um, one of them is the the just the rhythm of the church year and the liturgy and being part of that. Um, I still download the lectionary and church year calendar into my into my iPhone all the, every year, even though it doesn't really matter as much to me anymore. So that that's been real important. But 
Um, I figured out uh, at some point that my spiritual practice was actually walking. Mm. And so uh, I try to walk almost every day for um, an hour if I can. And uh, uh, I don't use headphones or anything like that. I just walk. And uh, I started doing that a while back. I used to walk a lot at night. But uh, I ran across this um, saying by... uh, Diogenes the cynic, um, <laughs> who said, Salvatore ambulando, the, the problem is solved by walking. And I think that's become sort of a mantra for me, that that walking. And, and in that time, you can do all sorts of things, but mm-hmm. you can certainly think about prayer, but you can also be present with what's around you. And fortunately, I've had some places to walk um, where I live now where there's lots of that happening. So I try to pay attention to the the stuff that's going on while I'm walking. So, yeah. It feels like a really embodied an, practice, okay. not just what's going on yeah, in the brain, but and moving it, your body. It, it was very important for me to, to, to finally say, oh, yeah, that, that really is mm-hmm. my spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you both. This conversation has been really rich, and hopefully people have um, some new tools to take with them, but also just appreciate the conversation and the nuances around anxiety and the complexity of it. Um, thank you both for being here today. Thank you. Thanks. This has been another episode of Because We're Lutheran. Thanks for listening. <laughs>